Amen. From Psalm 119, we're going to pick up, uh, not quite halfway through, verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And then over to Romans. There it is. Romans chapter 15. And there we'll read the uh, first seven verses. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm starting to feel a bit more hopeful in life than I was a few weeks ago. I, in, in all honesty, part of the reason I think I wanted to preach this sermon is because I needed to hear a word on hope and I needed to re be reminded about our hope as Christians. You know, as we said, we don't have an empty hope. We don't have a worldly hope or a false hope. Our hope is not in power. Our hope is not in democracy. Our hope is not in the prime minister. Our hope is not in money. Uh, our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in our boss. Our hope are, is, as Christians, is not in these things at all. In fact, as we've defined Christian hope, we've said that this is an earnest expectation of good, good outcomes, and a good future based on a true knowledge of God and God's promises founded on a relationship with the Father through the resurrected Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope as Christians always involves the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, and is based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the foundation for our hope, uh, the love of God our Father, as well as the Holy Spirit working in us because he is the one who, who builds the hope in us. He's the one who creates the hope in us. But still, there's an issue with many Christians that we're going to start to jump into here just a little bit today, uh, and we'll continue with this. There's an issue with many Christians because many Christians that I've met in fact, I might be as bold to say 
the majority of Christians that I've met have a worldly hope. They don't have a godly hope. And they're living out of that worldly hope. They're living out of that false hope. Now, many times, uh, Christians that uh, they, they say, well, I'm going to go through a difficult time, but I hope that God takes me out of it so I don't have to go through it. Well, actually, that's not how God treated Jesus. He had to go through the cross to get to the hope of the resurrection. Or well, some people will say, you know, I, I've, got, uh, I've, I've got this sickness. I hope that God won't have me deal with any sickness. But again, there's an issue with that. Even the best of us will struggle with illness from time to time. Uh, and sometimes Christians die of illnesses. Uh, or another one, oh, I really hope that young man or that young woman will fall in love with me. Uh, and I've seen that a lot. You know? Or I, I hope that, that I will get married uh, and God, you know, come and fulfill my hope of getting married because, you know, obviously everybody has to get married and if you don't get married, your life is not complete. And you could put anything else in there. You could put in, yeah, if I don't have kids, my life is not complete. If I don't get this job, my life is not complete. If I don't, whatever, you put it in there. And what makes this even more challenging for us is that we package this worldly hope or this false hope many times we package it in religious language even biblical language i mean we can quote scriptures uh you know one of the most famous ones quoted by his wounds we are healed uh, from isaiah 53 to say that well every disease must be taken care of in this world in this life when maybe the rest of the bible doesn't seem to agree with that and so we take things out of context, but we, we, we use that, uh, to, that religious language to somehow sanctify our worldly hope or our false hope. And when it doesn't turn out like we want it to turn out, we get angry with God. We think God has disappointed us. We think God has abandoned us. We think God no longer loves us. So out of our anger, then we want to walk away from God and, and we resist his ways, and, and, and then we lose several years of our life fighting with God. And by the way, uh, if you want to fight with God, just know this from the beginning, you're never going to win. He's a wee bit bigger than you are. Uh, so, so what is the antidote to this? Because if you're like me, and I know uh, many of you are from different churches, not just City Temple. If you're like me, you have people around you who have a worldly hope that has been crusted or, or iced with uh, the, the sweetness of religious language, and you know that people are going to crash, you know that people are going to be disappointed, maybe you yourself have fallen into this a little bit. How do we deal with this? Well, Paul and the psalmist both give us some insights uh, in these passages that we read. Obviously, that's true whenever I preach, because I wouldn't read the passage if the passage didn't give us some insights into this. But uh, it kind of goes without saying, but it is true. And what Paul begins to say here, now remember, Paul has told us the basis of our hope is the resurrection and, and other things like that. But in this passage in Romans, he tells us that we have hope through endurance and 
the encouragement of the scriptures. We have hope through our endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. And we've talked about the endurance question already a bit, how our hope is perfected, it's matured, it's strengthened as we endure, as we persevere. If we have a true knowledge of God, and if we have hope through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to, in God the Father, based on what he says and who he is, then as we endure, our hope will grow. Now, if we don't have, and this is a big clue, if our hope is not based on a true knowledge of God and his promises, founded in a relationship with God, the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, if our endurance is not based on this true knowledge of God, as we endure, our hope will begin to fade. And it's one of the biggest indicators for us that our hope is not properly founded in our relationship with God. If it begins to fade, or if we find ourselves getting more and more um, bitter toward God or angry with God or something like that, that's a really clear sign that our hope is not based right in relationship with God. But notice what else he says. He says it's, it comes through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. In other words, the Bible is what informs our hope. The Bible is God's word and as such is the basis for our true knowledge of God and God's promises. And many times, if our, well, if our hope is not flowing from who God is as revealed in the Bible, God's word, then we will always have problems having a Christian hope. Really holding on to hope, having hope, our hope will be weak and not strong. Our hope must flow through the filter of God's word and not just a little bit of God's word, God's word in its uh, larger context. That's key. And there's, two, there's a twofold encouragement that comes to us from the scriptures. And this is what the psalmist was talking about. The first is God's word to us. When you read the Bible, there are certain things that come out of that and it's not only coming out of the scripture, sometimes God speaks to us prophetically, but it has to still be based on the scriptures. There are certain ways that God will speak to us. And when he speaks to us through his word, his promises then give us life, according to the psalmist. But we must know what God has actually promised and what he has actually said in his word. If you believe that you're going to have an easy life, that's not promised in the Bible. If you believe that God is going to give you a, a spouse and two kids, that's not promised in the Bible. If you believe that uh, you're going to have this you know, amazing, intimate experience with God every single day, that's not promised in the Bible. There's a lot of things, and the problem is, there's a lot of things that are preached in pulpits that aren't coming from the Word of God. They're more fanciful ideas that are created in the imagination of the person preaching. But God's word to us, his promises, so they will give us life if 
They're what he's actually promised, what he's actually said in his word. And then the psalmist says, there's a second encouragement that comes from the scriptures, and that's God's blessing as we obey his word. There is a blessing for us in obedience that feeds into our hope. But we need to know what God has actually commanded us in his word. There's a lot of times that Christians will live their life and they'll think, well, this must be something God's commanded because somebody said it and, and they try to do it and they expect something to flow from it and it might not be something that God commanded at all. That happened with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had all these lists of things that they said, this is what God told us to do, but it wasn't biblical. It was part of their imagination. And Christians do that all the time. And so we need to be founded in the word of God. That's the twofold encouragement of the scriptures. It's God's word to us and it's his blessing as we obey his word. And as we hold on to this hope, if it's flowing from the scriptures, if it's founded in the Bible and flowing in, in that relationship with God, we will begin to receive a blessing as we hold on that hope together. And Paul mentions three here. He says that we will actually start to live in harmony with one another. When you have a group of people that have a biblical hope, that brings harmony as the people work and live together. Also, as we work in that, as we have that biblical hope, we will live in accordance with Jesus. We'll flow more naturally with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will tend to glorify God with one voice. And these blessings are always indicators of a group of people who are holding on to a Christian hope founded in the Bible as God's word. And the other dynamic then, as we live out of that hope, as we have that hope and embrace that hope through the encouragement of the scriptures, Paul tells us that we will live for each other, that we will live in a way that will bless other people. He says three things here that we would do. He says that we will bear with the failings of the weak. That's probably the least pleasant thing that we do there. Uh, but it's something that we're called to do. We bear with one another's failings. How can we do that? How can, you know, how can we bear with the failings of the week? Because we have a hope, an expectation of good and good outcomes, and that God will give a good future even to that weak person. He says, too, that we will build up our neighbors for their good, that we will seek to please our neighbors, but it's for their good, for their building up, not just to do any whim, that they want us to do. And thirdly, he says, we will welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. So people who are together embracing this hope that flows from the twofold encouragement of the scriptures, the fact that God speaks to us in the Bible uh, and by his Holy Spirit filtered through the scriptures and that God blesses us in our obedience, that as we live out of that hope, we receive the blessing of harmony with one another, harmony with Jesus, and glorifying God in unity. And also, we naturally, and this is something uh, that, that's so key about these things, when Paul is encouraging us, he's not setting up a legalism here. He's not setting up and saying, okay, you got to bear with the failings of the weak, you got to build up your neighbors, uh, you got to welcome one another, uh, and you know, legalistically you have to follow these. Basically, what Paul is saying is that if we live out of this reality, we will naturally bear with the failings of the weak. We will naturally build up our neighbors for their good. 
we will naturally welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. And what this world really needs to see are Christians worshiping together, fellowshipping together, holding hope together that points them away from the government, away from, oh, I won't say that swear word that starts with a B and ends with an exit, uh, away from all of the junk in life and says, you know, there's something greater than all of this stuff that we're going through. There's a future that's better. There's a hope that's real. And it's founded in Jesus. Father God, thank you so much that you give us hope, that you love us, that you call us together. We love you and we honor you. And I pray, Father, that you'd stir up hope within each of us as we reflect on your goodness, as we reflect on the truth of your word, as we reflect on who you are. Stir up that hope that we might live for you together and in the marketplace, holding on to authentic Christian hope. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.